Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Well, amen and good morning once again. We at North Roanoke Baptist Church, uh, as a commitment and a conviction, generally work our way through books of the Bible. Uh, God wrote a book. It is comprised of 66 books. And so under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, um, whatever season we're in as a church, I try to discern where God would have us to go And he has had us in Acts for a while now, obviously with some interruptions along the way, the Thanksgiving season, the Advent season. But uh, we've made it to Acts 20. Uh, And Acts is 28 chapters long. So we we are getting there. And we find ourselves uh, toward the end of Acts 20, verse 32 through 38. And it's it's kind of the second half uh, of a sermon based on Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. We, we learn a lot about the work of elders or pastors or overseers in this text. Paul will then sort of make these principles concrete in the pastoral epistles, uh, Timothy and Titus. But, but we learn a lot about why God gifts pastors, uh, appoints pastors, places pastors, elders, overseers, Uh, in a local flock, all right? And so we're back in Acts 20, and we're extrapolating from Paul's speech or farewell to the Ephesian elders as he's hastening on his journey back to Jerusalem. We're we're extrapolating six principles for pastors. So in in a sense, I'm preaching to myself, and uh, you are here for that, so I'm sorry. Um, but, But it's actually quite important, right? Because it's not enough for pastors to understand this about pastors. The church needs to understand this about pastors as well so that they know how to rightly follow pastors and how they know to rightly pray for and support their pastors. So if if pastors are trying to to do it according to the word, but the church is like, yeah, no thanks. Uh, We'd rather you just kind of get up there on Sunday and say a little ditty for 30 minutes, but we don't really want you to lead us then that creates a challenge for pastors to thrive and to flourish in the calling to which God has called them. And so uh, this week, we will see three more principles uh, that Paul gives us for faithfulness in pastoring from his farewell speech. Would you hear with me, beginning in verse 32, the word of the Lord. Paul says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. 
they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Would you pray with me? God, help us in the minutes uh, to come, the brief minutes to come, to, to hear from you. God, not, not to hear necessarily from me, but God, we want to hear the word of the Lord proclaimed. We, we, want, we want the mind of Christ to be spoken in this room today, and we want our minds and our hearts to be attuned to it and open to receive it so that Christ would be glorified and the church strengthened. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want you to see in this text from verse 32 is that elders, which is the same thing as pastors, which is the same thing as overseers. In the New Testament, there's no division between an elder, a pastor, and an overseer. An elder is one who oversees the church by pastoring. All right, We saw that in verse 28 last week. There, there's some traditions out there that separate these offices, but they are not separated in the New Testament. An elder is an overseer, is a pastor. And we saw last week that in plurality, they together hold and share this responsibility, this spirit-given responsibility of leading the church, of leading the charge for our endurance. We saw all that last week. And, and what we see this week in verse 32 is that pastors must lean on God by giving themselves to God's Word. In verse 32, Paul commends the pastors to God and the Word of His grace. To, to commend means to entrust or deposit something for safekeeping. Maybe you've had a, a special uh, jewelry or uh, special papers that have been handed down in the family, and you, you go to the bank and you get a safe deposit box, and you place it there for safekeeping. That's kind of the concept that is being captured here. How will these pastors continue to navigate the challenges of leading the church at Ephesus once Paul is gone? Once he will never be present to share with them the word again? What will they do? Paul deposits pastors in the only place where they are safe. Where are pastors safe? When they are entrusted to God and the word of his grace. Now it's important that we understand that God that Paul is not giving them over to God and to God's word separately, but the two things hang together. Barrett says this, Paul is giving them over to God who is active in the word of grace. So you can't have God without the gospel right? Where is he entrusting them? To the God who speaks in the gospel, who speaks in the message of Christ in our place. If you lose sight of the gospel, you've lost sight of God. So it's impossible, church, for your pastors to be spirit-led without being gospel-saturated. There's no, no such thing as, as a, a spirit-given revival that is separated from what Christ has done for us on the cross. The Holy Spirit has come to do what? To glorify Jesus. And so where revival is really taking place, Jesus is getting the credit. Jesus is being magnified. Our God is active where the gospel is proclaimed and where it is applied. And this God, Paul is confident, would work through his word 
to build up the pastors and by extension the local flock to give them what? The inheritance. Do you see it in verse 32? The inheritance that is promised in the gospel. Peterson says this, the encouragement of verse 32 is specifically that the message of grace, the gospel, will be sufficient to sustain leaders in their task of enabling Christ's flock to enter the inheritance secured for them by Christ's sacrifice. Now, that's a, that's a mouthful, but here it is. When you trusted in Christ, when you received the gospel, you are told and promised there's an inheritance, and God gives you pastors to spur you on to reach that inheritance. And how do you do that? They keep on breaking down and applying the gospel for you the rest of your life. Did you know that as a Christian, you never outgrow your need to hear the simple gospel of Jesus Christ? There's nothing sweeter, there's nothing more precious, there's nothing more assured. And the inheritance that's been promised you in the gospel, you will attain by hearing the gospel from pastors who are grounded in the gospel. All that's in verse 32. Who will this be true among? Who will really obtain the inheritance that's held out for us in the gospel? All those, do you see it? All those who are sanctified. You will minister this among all the ones, literally, who have been sanctified. And this is, is to me, a fascinating verse of Scripture, verse 32, because we see two types of sanctification in one verse. Two types of sanctification in one verse. Because Paul is saying, all who have been sanctified and cannot be unsanctified. The word sanctified is to be set apart for God, right? To be set apart as holy, to be removed from the world system and set apart as a child or a person of God. That is to be sanctified. And what Paul is saying is once you're saved, you're set apart. You are forever set apart. You are once and for all sanctified. Now, some of you are like, but I went to I went to Sunday school and I thought sanctification was a process and justification was a point in time. God changed me, and from that point forward, He saw me as as His own through the blood of Christ, and I was justified not by what I did, but by faith in the Son of God who died for me. You're exactly right. But when you're justified, you're also sanctified. You are set apart once and for all for God. That's one way of looking at sanctification. Does that make sense? But there's another type of sanctification in which we become in practice what God declared us to be in truth when we were saved. Does that make sense? All right, so, so in the moment you trust Christ, you come a broken, messed up person. Anybody say amen to that? And you trust in Jesus, and God saves you. You die that moment, no matter how messed up you were, if your faith and trust and confidence was in Jesus and you were truly repentant of your sin, God sees you as his son through the blood of Christ and not as you actually were. That's amazing. It's a great truth. But let's say you keep living a little bit longer. Well, in time and over time, as you hear the gospel proclaimed and as you get in community in a local church and as you submit to a local group of pastors who's being built up in the gospel for your endurance, guess what? You begin to change. You actually begin to become like Jesus. And that process never ends until you die and God glorifies you. So there's two types of sanctification. One is when you trust Christ, you're set apart for God. And the other one is this process. And and what happens in this process? Do you see it in verse 32? 
Elders are a part of God's work of building up the church and leading them to lay hold of their inheritance as they faithfully proclaim the gospel week in and week out and entrust themselves to it. And who is it that is going to be built up and get this inheritance? It's everybody who has been sanctified. Have you been sanctified? Have you been set apart from the world unto Christ? Does the disposition of your heart and the attitudes of your mind and the the behaviors that you conduct yourselves in, the things that you love and the things that you hate, the, the sin that you commit, do you love it or do you hate it? Have you been set apart for God through faith in Christ? If you have been, You need to be in a local church with pastors who are entrusted to the gospel and giving you the gospel all the time so that you might be built up and lay hold of the inheritance that is promised in the gospel. So as Paul leaves, he wants the elders to finish their God-given assignment. And in order for this to happen, he entrusts them to the same God who saved them in the announcement of the message of His grace at the beginning. So the way that pastors face the challenges of the future, get this, is by staying locked in on the gospel of the past and the present and the future, the unchanging gospel, the once for all faith delivered to the saints. Pastors can't navigate the future without constantly looking back to God and what He's done for us in the life and death and resurrection of Christ as the foundation of our existence, the foundation of our purpose, our identity, our hope, and our drive. The, the world church is quite happy when churches lose sight of God who is active in the word of His grace. The world has no problem with with us gathering to do other things, to celebrate other realities. They are quite happy for churches to have fun games and events and socials and sports leagues and other ministries. None of those are bad, by the way. But the world is fine if we do those things as long as we lose sight of the God who brought us together. As long as we lose sight of how God brought us together at the high cost of the death of His Son. You want revival, church? You've got to have the gospel. That is what the Spirit uses. So Paul does not entrust the elders to their own abilities or to a series of performance metrics. What does he entrust the pastors to? To God and the word of his grace. You want good pastors? Find pastors who are all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the foundation of their salvation. It is the essence of their calling. And it is the only thing that will guard these pastors and the church from drifting. Pastors must never lose sight of the gospel and of the soon return of Christ who deserves a bride who is working and praying and serving and worshiping for the glory of, his king, of the, our King at His return. Secondly, or fifthly, if we're counting from last week, the next thing I want you to see is that pastors must work hard and live generously. Pastors must work hard and live generously, verses 33 through 35. Immediately after Paul commends the elders to God and the gospel, Paul again uses himself, as he did back in verses 13 through 27, Paul, again, uses himself as an example. Now, Paul's not being arrogant here. 
He, he has genuinely modeled this for them. And what does he remind them of now? He reminds them that he was not in ministry for worldly possessions. He was not in ministry for worldly possessions. He was not in ministry for a cushy job. He was in, not in ministry because all you do is preach for 30 minutes on Sunday and then let everybody else do everything else. Ministry is hard work. And he begins in verse 33, I did not desire anyone's silver or gold or apparel. At times, we know that Paul would indeed receive gifts to supply his needs as a church planter. But even when he did, what does he say in Philippians 4, 17? I didn't seek the gift. The reason I asked you for the gift is I sought the fruit that increases to your credit. I wanted you to have a chance to get in on the mission. Isn't that awesome? Like, that God lets us be a part of the advance of his kingdom should astound us. That we get to give for the progress of the gospel should be amazing to us. And Paul's like, look, I didn't need your money, but I knew you had the opportunity to, to, to supply my need and get on, on the gospel advancing. That's why I asked for money at all. But in the case of, of the Ephesians, what does he say? I didn't ask you for anything. You see that? He says, these hands... Like as he's talking, this is emphatic. You, you can imagine as a, as a tent maker and as a leather worker that his hands were probably quite strong. That they probably had more than a few calluses on them. And as he's speaking to these men about work ethic, he goes, these hands. These hands right here ministered to my necessities and not just his own, but to those who were with me. Paul provided for himself and for those who were traveling alongside of him. What is Paul's point? His point is not that pastors should never be compensated. However, his point is also not that every pastor has to be compensated by their church. In 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, Paul says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. That should be all the elders. All the elders should rule well or guide well or lead well. And then he says this, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So there's going to be some of the elders who take the lion's share of the preaching and teaching load. And if they need to be compensated by the church so that they have the time to devote to those tasks, that's great. Paul goes on to say, the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. So what is Paul's point then? Here's his point. Elders must not be motivated by personal gain in this present age. Pastors must not be in it for the money. H have y'all seen some pastors who may appear to be in it for the money? Corporate jets, nice vacation homes, church pastors can't be in it for the money. We must serve Christ. We must exist to proclaim the word, to protect and lead the church and live as godly examples so that the church of Christ will prosper. We follow a crucified and risen Savior. Paul wants these men to heed the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 12, 34. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also the men of God must model this for the church. Paul modeled it in his ministry, and they must do the same. When, when Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, do, do you remember this text in 1 Thessalonians 2.5? He reminds them, we never 
came with words of flattery. We didn't try to puff you up. We just preached the gospel. And then he says this, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. So what does the church need? Beloved, the church needs pastors who are devoted to treasuring Jesus and his kingdom with their treasures. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot serve God and money. Did you know that's true for pastors and also for all Christians? So what should we make then of celebrity pastors sporting sneakers and watches and apparel that cost more money than some people could give to their church in a month or a year? Are y'all listening? Is this on? This is a reality in our society. And I believe it grieves the heart of God. What should we do in the face of this celebrity culture that surrounds uh, pastoring? I I think we should weep. We should weep because as John Piper writes, nobody is drawn to Jesus as the spiritual saving, satisfying treasure of their souls by the luxurious lifestyle of those who supposedly preach the word nobody. What are people drawn to in preachers who make much of their luxury? What are they drawn to? They are drawn to the hope of luxury. That's what they're drawn to, the hope of luxury. And that's a terrible thing. Because as Jesus says in Luke 8, 14, there are some who hear the gospel and the gospel appears to take root in their hearts for a season, but in the end, they are choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. Pastors must be super careful not to cause others to stumble in how they relate to money. They must be ever mindful that they serve the God who left the glory of heaven to rescue His church. And as He did, He had no place to call home and nowhere to lay His head. Pastors must remember, like all other Christians, Jesus is the reward. We must not covet another church, another position, another title, another opportunity, another salary package. Pastors must help one another keep fixing their eyes on Jesus because there's no greater treasure than Jesus. And in verse 35, we see that the opposite of being a pastor who covets and is in it for the money is being what? How do you prevent this? How do you guard against this? The opposite is to work hard and to be generous. Do you see it in verse 35? Paul says, in all things, meaning at every opportunity, he has shown these men that serving as a pastor is not a passport to an easy life. When we search for pastors at North Roanoke, when we have openings, when we have an opportunity to search for a pastor, uh, my preference It's not a requirement, but my preference is that I see that they've had some seminary training. Why is that? It's not because I like people with big heads. I know that knowledge can puff up if you don't have a right perspective on it. It's because seminary is hard. It's hard work. I don't want somebody just coasting through and who's nice and has quality relationships but doesn't really mind the truth of the gospel. We need people who understand that that the gospel is hard work. I remember being a grader at Southeastern Seminary as a teaching fellow for a theology professor, and we had some guys come in there 
they had a little bit of Bible college and, and, and they would write and hand in their papers. And I'm like, did you take English in anywhere in high school? Can, can you put together an English sentence? And you say, well, that's kind of that's harsh. It's not. You've got to be able to communicate to others the love of Christ in a way that it can be understood. So to be a communicator, to be a, a lover, to be someone who will mind the, the depths of God's Word is important. It is important that pastors work hard. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6, Paul compares pastors to hard-working farmers who give 100% for months before there's ever a harvest. You work and you work and you toil even when you see no fruit because you know the one who gives the fruit is God. God gives the increase. Pastoral ministry, at least pastoral ministry done well, church, it is hard work. It is the hard work of breaking down a text and making it plain week in and week out. It is the hard work of protecting the church from wolves and wrong doctrine. It is the hard work of trying to get everyone rowing in the same direction when our flesh wants to go its own way. It's the hard work of counseling and discipling others. The hard work of helping the weak, verse 35, which can refer to either the physically or the spiritually infirm. Church wolves want to gain a following at the expense of the weak. We saw that last week. But pastors want to give themselves away for the sake of the weak. Pastors never leave that simple song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I am weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Pastors love to see weak people made strong in Christ. And they do so remembering the words of Jesus. Do you see it in verse 35? Words, interestingly enough, that we don't find in the Gospels. So somehow Paul heard these words of Jesus. We don't know if it was on the road to Damascus or if it was circulating in the church that Jesus had said this and Paul thought it was important for us to know. But somewhere along the way in his earthly ministry, what did Jesus say? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now on the face of it, that just doesn't make much sense. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, I like to, I like to receive a gift. That, that's a blessing. Is Jesus saying that to receive a gift is not a blessing? No. Howard Marshall is helpful in this when he says, The saying does not mean those who benefit from the generosity of others are less blessed than those who give. Well, then what does it mean? The principle, rather, is this. It is better for a person who can do so to give to help others than to amass wealth for himself. Paul is building on what he said before. He doesn't covet wealth or aim to amass wealth, but that doesn't mean he's lazy. It doesn't mean he doesn't have drive to work hard. He just wants to turn his hard work into greater blessing for the weak who need it. He doesn't need excess resources. He doesn't need to accumulate stuff. He works hard to bless others. Now, Paul is not commanding all of the elders to have secular jobs, right? Some, as we have covered earlier, will be under the employment of the church. But he is requiring all pastors, whether they are lay pastors or paid pastors, to work hard. And praise God, because it wasn't just one pastor 
they could share the load together. Paul wants pastors, regardless of who signs their paycheck, to work hard, to live sufficiently, and to give extravagantly of their wealth and of themselves to serve as examples to the flock and to strengthen the weak. And finally, we see in Paul's farewell address that pastors must love one another and invest in the next generation, the next generation who will lead the church. This idea that we have a guy, the lead pastor, the voice, and we tolerate him as long as we can, and he tolerates us as long as he can, and then he goes away either by burnout or resignation or death and then we call the seminary and we find the next guy it's not biblical what's biblical is a team of pastors training and sharpening and affirming and building up one another and always looking down the road to the next generation of who is the Spirit providing to this congregation right now. He might be 12 years old. He might be 20 years old. But who is God raising up to be that next guy? And sure, we might utilize a seminary in the process of his training. Seminaries aren't bad. They're phenomenal tools the churches have built, but they're not supposed to bifurcate pastoring from the local church. Does this make sense? Are, are y'all tracking with me? This is important. And so the trajectory that I'm hopeful that we can put North Roanoke on, one of the contributions that I am dead set convinced that God has bla- emblazoned on my heart is that, that we would set North Roanoke on a course where there are a team of men who are training and equipping and affirming one another and constantly looking down the road to the next generation such that we wouldn't hit this full stop. Well, we were out without a leader for three years and we just kind of floundered around and we looked for a leader and we had a committee and we survived it. It's not the, it's not the Bible. There's a chain of succession and transmission of leadership that is built into the DNA of a local church. And it's right here in Acts. And it's right over there in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So how do pastors endure? They love one another together. After Paul has reminded these elders of their vital work as spirit-appointed elders in the church of God, a, a church purchased with the blood of his son, we find a most fitting conclusion to the last time that Paul will be with these men. What does he do? He kneels down and he prays with all the elders. Paul's speech has been won for the ages, but these elders will accomplish nothing without God's strength and supervision and support. The content of Paul's speech is great. But it is nothing without the dependency of these men upon God that is expressed in prayer. The task that they've been called to, they cannot accomplish in their own power or their own strength or with their own intellect or their own Bible knowledge, no matter how great or impressive. They are nothing and they will accomplish nothing apart from Christ, John 15, 5. So as we close this morning, I want us to see in verses 37, 38, the, the love of these men for one another and the love for Paul, their 
mentor. Do you see it in verse 37? These are grown men. Grown men don't cry, right? Wrong. What do they do? They are weeping. The word communicates sobbing, deep emotion, and and they embraced Paul. Literally, they had fallen upon his neck. And it's like they had so fallen upon his neck that they they couldn't get off of his neck. And they they kissed him. And some of you are like, guys are kissing guys? What is going on? In, In that day, culturally, to kiss on the cheek is this deep sign of brotherly love and affection. Paul, we love you. We love you. Thank you for investing in us. We we don't want you to go away, but we know that you must. We love you. And clearly they love one another. It's not like they came up to him one by one and fell on his neck. As a a collective, as a group, these men who had been brought together by the Spirit, appointed to lead the church under the oversight of Paul, they fall on him weeping and kissing him. You have that picture in your mind's eye. In verse 38, the elders were sorrowful. The word means that they were in agony. They were agonizing because they would not see Paul's face again. And they accompany Paul down to the ship. And while the text does not say this, I imagine that they watched the ship until it disappeared on the horizon. I remember as a young boy going to see my cousins. And we would have such a great time together. and We never wanted to say goodbye. We get in the car and we drive around the block and hit Main Street and they would sprint down the hill and one last time they would wave and we would honk and we were gone till next time. In this case, there wasn't going to be a next time. Can you not hear the elders crying out as the ship reaches the horizon. Thank you, Paul. We love you. Godspeed. God be with you. We will will see you again. And we'll be there with Jesus, with you. In church, I imagine as the ship disappeared and these elders one by one slowly turned from the shore to return to their God-given assignment that they return resolved to the best of their ability and with God's help to honor Paul and to honor their God by leading the church to endure for the glory of King Jesus. How would they do it? They would follow God's they would follow Paul's example. They would constantly seek to identify the next generation of leaders training them and bringing them into a team of love and accountability and support to stand together for the sake of Christ and the good of the flock. And you say, why can you say that? Why do you believe that these elders passed on what they got from Paul because of what Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2.2? What does he say? What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust, deposit for safekeeping to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Keep the transmission of teaching and training in pastoral leadership going in the local church until Christ returns. 
I once heard it said that good leaders want to make life better for the leaders who follow them, and I believe that's true. My desire as your pastor, as I see the strong cultural headwinds coming against the church and the tendency of our flesh to want to go its own way, is to lead us by God's grace over time to follow God's design for His church and and her leadership to the best of our ability so that leaders will have the love, support, and accountability they need to stand strong in the Lord as they lead the church so that we would not stray from Christ and the gospel in a world that desperately wants us to do so. Pastors, on the authority of God's word, need to do six things. We've got to learn from Paul's example and the example of other godly pastors. We've got to look out for one another, paying close attention to our lives and our doctrine. We must guard the flock by looking out for wolves and refuting them. We must lean on God by entrusting ourselves to His Word, the Word of His grace. We must not be in it for the money, but work hard and live and give generously. And we must rely on God as we love one another and invest in the next generation of pastors in the local church. May God help me. May He help Ethan. May He help Hope. And may He help anyone else that God will raise up as a pastor at North Roanoke Baptist Church. Would you pray with me? God, it's a an incredible blessing from the Spirit to be able to be a part of working for the endurance of your church, your saints, those who have been set apart, who have been sanctified. To encourage men and women and boys and girls to obtain, to lay hold of the inheritance that is promised in the gospel by constantly preaching the gospel unapologetically without fear God I pray that you would help us as a church to honor Christ by honoring his word and obeying it even when it's awkward even when it's strange God that we would do your will as revealed in your word and we would not hesitate to do so because Christ is worthy of it And God, in a room this size, I know there are people who don't have a local church to call their own. A local church that they can serve in and be sharpened as iron sharpens iron in. And God, I pray if today's the day that they would, you would lead them because they know Christ. They, they already have saving faith in Christ. They've already been baptized, but maybe since COVID, they've just kind of been languishing and searching for a place to call home. God, if this is where you'd have them call home, I I pray you'd send them out. And as we sing our last song, you'd give them the liberty to join this church. And God, there are others. As, As I was preaching about those who are set apart for God, they look at their lives and they say, I'm not set apart for God. My attitudes aren't set apart for God. My actions aren't set apart for God. My thought life isn't set apart for God. I'm sinning and I enjoy it, but I don't want to enjoy it anymore. I want to enjoy life in Christ. I want to turn from my sin and trust in Him. God, I I pray that as we cry out in this song, Lord, I need you, that you would break them. You would break their heart and help them to see that their need is you and that you 
would be glad to give yourself to them. God, have your will and your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.